Today is an unusual day. Um, I normally prepare my messages and I picture the con congregation. And this morning, there is no congregation. But um, if you don't mind, I'm going to continue to imagine there is a congregation. Um, it'll help me. Uh, but also, later on, I'm just about to ask you to also exercise your imagination. But um, it's also unusual, not only because you're not all here, but I think we're getting used to, I, I don't think we, we even know anymore what usual is. Um, but in some sense, that may become a, a good thing. Um, let me explain. Um, normally, we think of the gifts of the Spirit, and today we're reading um, a reading that normally would occur later on in the church calendar. Uh, but as we're going through Acts, the reading of Pentecost has uh, come for us today. And um, normally we think of uh, Pentecost and we think of the Holy Spirit being, being poured out and we think of the gifts of the Spirit and we think of God's people being empowered and I say yes to both of those things, but there is something still more central. There is something else being offered. There is something else being poured out. And without that, the gifts of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit are impotent and redundant apart from this central thing. I believe that as we consider again the events of the day of Pentecost, we may see that God has something unusual for us and we may need to learn how to embrace the unusual to fully experience this gift this promise this presence so as we consider our passage today as I said I'd like to invite you to exercise your imagination so if you look at our first slide you'll see red curtains I'd like you to imagine there are red curtains behind me. And um, we're going to look at this passage almost in scenes. And sometimes I like to think of um, particularly narrative story, and in this instance, uh, this is what I would consider historical narrative. This is a story of something that happened. And so I sometimes think of narrative as, as scenes. And these scenes help me to see how this whole story hangs together. And so I want you to imagine maybe those curtains right now, there's a bit of movement as, as the um, characters are getting ready for the first scene. And who am I? Well, I guess I'm, I'm something of the narrator, standing up here, helping set up this first scene. And in order to set up this scene, you need to know that this story that we're about to open up and see is part of a bigger story, a more ancient story. Humanity lived in the presence of God. In fact, we were made for the presence of God. However, our great failure was that we sought our joy and satisfaction apart from God. We sought our life apart from God. And this led to a great separation from God, a separation that God has sought to remedy and after a very long time, I'm skipping over a large part of the story to say that, after a very long time, the presence of God came to us in the person of Jesus. 
He became our way back to God, our way back into the presence of God. The presence of God was with us. But not everyone would accept Jesus as the way back to God. For the way was unusual to a people used to their own ways. After Jesus had finished his work, beginning the work of reconciliation, Jesus left his followers despite his promise that he would never leave them. But he promised to send them the Holy Spirit. So they wait in Jerusalem as instructed. And so we come to the first scene, the curtains open, and we have this extraordinary event. It says that when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. What a luxury to be all together in one place. Um, Not for us today, but um, they were all together in one place. And the day of Pentecost, um, uh, Pentecost derived from the Greek uh, meaning 50 or 50th. And this is the 50th day after the Passover. The Passover was a great Jewish festival. So was Pentecost, also known as um, uh, the Festival of Weeks. And it was um, seven weeks after the um, day of the Passover. And so this was a major Jewish festival. And it was a harvest festival where we acknowledge that all that we have comes from God. But it also came to commemorate the giving of the law. And so the disciples, the apostles are gathered on this day and it's significant. This was a day which commemorated the giving of the law. But think about the irony of this. This was part of the story I left out when I said after a very long time, well, God had sought to be with his people. You might remember that Moses went out on Mount Sinai to receive instructions, to receive the commandments And all of this was so that a holy God could be among his people, that the presence of God could be among his people. But the irony was that while Moses was up there, the people were down the bottom building a golden calf, dancing around it, saying, these are the gods that saved us and brought us out of Egypt. So there was Moses up receiving instructions so that a holy God who is like a consuming fire could be among a people with unclean hearts, hearts bent on turning away from him. Moses was receiving instructions so that God could be among them. And they were down there seeking a life apart from God, apart from the presence of God. But moving on, this, this scene would be for directors and producers, just gold. It's just got such artistic license. Um, Listen to the words. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. So I don't know if there was a wind. I just know there was a sound like the blowing of a violent wind, which came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Now, I don't know if you've seen a picture um, of tongues or flames above disciples. Here's a picture for you um, in our next slide. Um, I don't know what it looked like, 
But in this scene, this is such artistic license because uh, this is clearly an extraordinary event. This is unusual. It can't be described clearly. It was the sound like the blowing of a violent wind. It was what seemed to be tongues. You're supposed to immediately see in this scene that something unusual, extraordinary is happening. This is reminiscent of often how God works. His ways are not our ways. And sometimes how he comes is in extraordinary ways, and especially when there is something new occurring. And so we have this scene, which clearly, this extraordinary scene, this extraordinary event, which tells us that God is acting You might remember from last week, as Andrew was talking about the title of um, this book, The Acts. Whose acts? Whose doings is this? Is it God's doings? Is it Jesus's? Is it his disciples? Is it the spirits? Is it the churches? Whose acts? It's a good question to keep asking as you read. Keep asking that question, who is acting? Clearly here, this is God. This is an extraordinary, unusual event. The curtains close, scene two, it opens. So this event has taken place and and at the end of that scene, we know that they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. But now the curtain opens for the second scene and the crowd responds. And there there are two responses. The crowd responds and there's two responses. One response is amazement. There's amazement at what's going on. There's curiosity and interest. A crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. And so Jews, um, from the dispersion through the exiles uh, that had taken place um, centuries before, um, people had been dispersed, the Jews had been dispersed, but they had come together for this Jewish festival. And so their native language was something else. But here they were, hearing their native language, hearing their language being spoken and people, these disciples, declaring the wonders of God in their tongues, their own tongues. And so they were utterly amazed, it said. Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? And by that, it actually meant Galileans. What comes from Galilee? Revolutionaries come from Galilee. Maybe uneducated people come from Galilee. How is it possible that these Galileans are speaking our language? And it says, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? There's, there's, There's an event that's taken place and the crowd is responding. They're, they're, they're looking to make sense of this unusual event. But it does say that as, as this scene starts to close, it says, some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. Now, I don't know how valid a point that might have been, but I find it hard that, that there's a crowd there and clearly, while it is an unusual thing to be seeing, Clearly some people understand what's being said. But I wonder whether we might relate that at times there are events or actions that we don't understand. 
And sometimes in those instances, there is a temptation either to mock or sometimes to criticise. What leads to such a response? Sometimes I think we don't have the courage to admit that we don't know what's happening. Sometimes when the unusual, the unexpected, something different, something extraordinary is happening, we don't have the courage to admit that we don't know what's happening. It can be a really hard thing for leaders to stand up when they have to lead others and say, I, I, I don't know all the answers. I don't know the whole path ahead. Sometimes, so sometimes this is an issue of pride, but sometimes it's an issue of control. When something's happening that I don't understand, this places me in a position of a lack of control. I don't know what's going to happen next. As we're a church looking forward to what God is going to do this year, even next week, God willing, if we are able to gather, what is God laying on our hearts? Are there some things that might be different than what we would think? What sort of a response will we have? The curtains close on that scene and the curtains start to open on the next scene. Or if you prefer um, a, a television series, the camera now has moved to Peter, one of the apostles. It's zooming in on him. And Peter explains. But let, but let me tell you, this is more than just an explanation. He's being prophetic in his action. He's being prophetic now as he explains. Sometimes when we think of prophecy, we immediately think of the foretelling of the future. But, um, uh, and certainly uh, that is uh, uh, an aspect of prophecy. And, um, but here for Peter, like many of the prophets, they were interpreting the events of what were happening in light of what God had already spoken of. So God had spoken, God had made himself known, and in light of that, the prophets would interpret what was going on. They were speaking of God's action in the present. And so it says, Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. Can you picture Peter? He stood up, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. This Peter, he's confident, he is bold. And if you listen to the rest of his sermon, as it were, his address to the crowd, there's such a strength behind it. In some sense, I could understand this in chapter 1, but just coming to the beginning of chapter 2, I might have wondered about it. Because in chapter 1 of Acts, Jesus is with them. Could you imagine Peter and the apostles declaring the good news? You guys were so wrong. Look, here's Jesus. You killed him. He's alive. How powerful would that message be? Jesus, you just keep walking around with us. We've, we've got all the confidence we need to declare this message. But Jesus ascended. The presence of God was with the, the disciples. They had, had such a confidence 
in seeing the resurrected Jesus. God was with them. The presence of God was with them. But we hear that the Holy Spirit was poured out on them and it filled them. The presence of God was in them. Remember, to keep asking the question, who's acting? Look at Peter. Look at what he's doing. Is, this, is Peter doing something or is God doing something? Yes. Is Peter doing something? Yes. Is God doing something? Yes. The presence of God is in Peter. And so he declares <laughs> what's going on. And, and um, he declares what's going on. And um, as he does so, he's pointing to this great act of God. But God's promise of the Holy Spirit being poured out. Um, it says that in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. For some of us, this is a familiar prophecy from Joel because we just studied Joel. But the verse just before this, um, you see the first part of Joel spoke of devastation that had come, judgment, agricultural devastation, the locusts had eaten everything. But then the second part of Joel spoke about restoration and renewal. How was God bringing this about? He, he talked about um, a renewal and a restoration of, of their uh, crops. But it says, just after he'd um, uh, given that word, it says, Then you will know that I am in Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and that there is no other Never again will my people be shamed. So how is God bringing this renewal? It's his presence. It's not just agricultural renewal. It's the very presence of God. And it's just after that verse that we have these verses. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters um, will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. How is God remedying this separation? His very presence is going to be placed into his people. There were other promises as well. We weren't able to keep the laws. It said in Jeremiah that God was going to put his law in our hearts. In Ezekiel it said that he was going to give us a new spirit. And in Joel it said he was going to pour out his spirit. These were the promises. This is what Peter is saying is happening. You want to understand what this extraordinary event is? It's what has been foretold. For so long we have waited. And so this is what's going on. The curtains close. And they get ready to open for our final scene. Yes, it is still Peter's speech. It might be a strange place to put a scene, but... Uh, Peter's attention just shifts all of a sudden. He's spoken of what's happened as um, the Holy Spirit being poured out. This was what was promised. But then he turns to Jesus. Peter's keen to make sure that this event of the pouring out of the Spirit, uh, the significance of it, and the significance of what has just happened uh, to Jesus, both his death, his resurrection and ascension, that these are all connected. 
Again, last week, we heard um, uh, a helpful phrase last week. As you're thinking about whose acts are these, well, the acts of the apostles and of the church are going to be sustained. Um, They're going to be sustained by the heavenly presence of Jesus and the earthly presence of the Holy Spirit. We heard that last week. And in fact, all of the work of salvation is the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But as we look at Acts, we're going to see that close connection between what has just gone before in the Gospels, in the coming of Jesus, and then in the coming of the Holy Spirit, that these acts of salvation are closely linked. And so Peter says to them, fellow Israelites, listen to this. This Jesus, um, Jesus of Nazareth, was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by the deliberate plan of God and, and by his foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. He then quotes from Psalm 16 to confirm the promise of the resurrection, where it's said in that psalm, Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. And Peter says that this is a reference to the Messiah. This is a reference to Jesus. And he says later on, just past our reading, God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. And there you see the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Peter has gone from explaining to exhorting. He is urging a response to this event. And um, this is reminiscent of words that um, Jesus spoke. Part of the receiving of God's spirit, part of the receiving of the pouring out of the presence of God in this way is a recognition of people's desperate need of God. That our joy, our satisfaction, our life is found in God, that we have need of forgiveness. We have need of his mercy. Jesus, in the Gospel of John, um, at a different festival, I think it was the Festival of the Tabernacles, but it says, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, As scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. So a person needs to recognise their need. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, whoever trusts in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Now he immediately explains what these rivers of living water are. 
It says, by this, he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. And so we come to the end of our scene with an urging of the people to respond. But we know that this is not, (laughs) it might be the end of this scene, but it's the beginning of watching how the presence of God will move. Last week, as Andrew concluded, he talked about that period of time um, between the ascension of Jesus and the day of Pentecost, and they were waiting. They were waiting. In past ministry contexts, usually this reading has often followed an altar call where you call the people forward, despite the fact that you're not literally here. Even today, I don't feel led to that point. It's almost like a call to wait. There's there's a need for us to sit and wait. Wait both in a, in an abil- with a sense to recognise our need of God, but also to learn to wait on God. That is, to start to learn to notice how God moves. His ways may not be like our ways. They may be unusual. In some sense, the disciples were waiting maybe longer than that period of time. That is, Jesus was with them, the presence of God was with them, but before the presence of God was in them, they were learning from Jesus, they were waiting on Jesus, they were watching how he worked, and they were often surprised by how he worked and the things that he did and the answers that he gave. And when we talk about unusual, we're not only talking about wonders or miracles. Even Jesus' ordinary actions were often unusual and surprising that we might love our enemies. We must learn to wait for the Holy Spirit, his timing, his way, his power. We need to get ready for the presence of God in us. Let me pray. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we wait on you. We want to watch and learn from you. We want to learn your timing, your way, your power, for the sake of our joy and the glory of Christ and his kingdom. Amen.